Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is episode 30. Brian, question for today. Uh, what's the business incentive for climate action? Why is everybody uh, but Trump going green and then telling everybody about it? And how can I, as a private citizen, not Batman, uh, help that along? That Those are some very good questions. And mm-hmm. that is... I wish that you were Batman. I'm sorry that you're not. No, too tired. Way too tired. And just to be clear, I would not fucking be your Robin, okay? So it's awkward because I didn't ask you to be Robin. I know I know that you were about to, so I nipped it in the bud. Did I? Are your workouts going that well that you feel like you could be Robin? My workouts are going great. Okay. Our guest, hey, who's going to help us talk about that? <laughs> about Batman and Robin? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking nobody. Uh, no, our guest today is uh, he's, uh, Will Hackman. Uh, Will has been a campaign manager for the House and the Senate. He's worked as a marine fisheries conservation advocate. Uh, he represented Georgetown University at the UN Climate Change Conference past couple years. And he's also an author on uh, various energy and environmental and climate change topics. And he's, he's from the Midwest. He's from the Midwest, which sure, may, I guess, sure, Brian, makes him better than everybody. Whatever you need. Doesn't make Every, him better than everybody, but it's a good quality to have to be from the, not that it's a quality, but who, who, you, think, so you think somebody's going to argue with me? He's from the Midwest. That's like, everybody would go, oh yeah, that's good. Would they? Every, everybody? Yes. Everybody. Nobody know. looks down on people from the Midwest. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying anybody looks down, but I'm just saying I'm sure, uh, you know, let's not, let's not make stereotypes. Brian, you know, I'm sure someone somewhere has had a bad experience with someone from the Midwest before. All right. I'm just saying I like him. Sure. Uh, glad we got him, by the way, because he is, uh, my man's going dark like today. Yeah. Uh, for pretty a while. exciting stuff. We're like, hey, uh, Will, some of this stuff can be kind of hard. What do you do? And he's like, I fucking disappear. <laughs> I'm doing it right now, which is interesting. Um, yeah, we got him at a really good time. Yeah. Hey, Brian, can I ask you a question? Okay. Are you a shit giver? Oh boy, am I! Give I give a, a shit. Do you shit? We often uh, we call our formally our little business is called the conversations most vital to our survival as a species, uh, or as some folks have said, it's the newsletter and the podcast for people who give a shit about the future. I like that. I love it. If you do feel like you're a shit giver, uh, you can become an official one uh, by sharing our newsletter with literally everyone you know, all the um, people, or you know the email addresses of, or that is on the internet. Um, and you can get credit for it. You can go, where can they go, Brian, to do that? Well, they should probably just head on over to shitgiver.com. You right? can also go to shitgivers.important.important.com, but shitgiver.com, so easy and quick. Yeah, my uh, OCD doesn't love that one is shitgiver and the other is shitgivers, but hey, yeah. that's part of the uh, frustrations of the internet. Just the way uh, it is. What, what do they do? Just the way it is. Um, they just sh- You just go there to one of those aforementioned websites mm-hmm. you share the newsletter uh-huh. it's super easy you or put, just sign well, up first you put you in your yet. email put in your email address right and if you already signed up for the newsletter it's going to take you to your your cool little sharing your profile page yeah and like your you, own profile page if you haven't signed up yet it signs you up and then you go to your profile page and, and then what do you do when you're there well then you just use the tools to share it you could share it uh with some email addresses you could mm-hmm. share it over twitter or facebook or whatever the fuck yep quinn what happens if uh, if you do that if you share it if you share it. Well, hopefully people fucking click on it. You don't get credit for just sharing. You got to do a good job of it uh, and have some friends, which, you know, not judging. But if you successfully share it Successful. with certain numbers of actual human beings, not robots, 
They get some free stuff, man. Some cool free stuff. Yeah, we got a mug uh, that'll be that you know I'm, I'm relatively inappropriate right for your workplace if you're like an elementary school <laughs> teacher. But hey, you can't start them early enough. T-shirts. We got a go bag with our fucking patch on it. It's pretty dope. Uh, some stickers. And uh, if they share with 200 and I mean, there uh, I, I don't know this many people, but somebody does. A lot uh, of somebody people. respectable who's not an introvert like me. Uh, 250 real humans, Brian. What do they get? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a trip to Los Angeles to sit in and be included on and take part in an episode of the podcast. That's right. You get Brian's job. Yeah, I'm going to take that day off and you're going to take my place. <laughs> you know, if you fucking packing boxes in the background. <laughs> uh, no, you get to come do this thing with us, man. We'll get ice cream. We'll get coffee. It'll be super fun. Uh, we have a lot of fun with this. And 250 would go uh, a hell of a long way. We appreciate it. Um, by the time this comes out, I will be back in Los Angeles from my yeah, summer, you will. Uh, summer exit. And what am I coming back to, Brian? How are things going there? You are coming back to actual fires burning hundreds of acres of land. Perfect. Perfect. Where exactly? Uh, that's going on in uh, Northern California right now. Okay. But I'm, I'm assuming it's making its way south. Oh, the, the hot winds are a-blowing. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately. Great. Cool, cool. Uh, oh, you got, super you got excited that. about that. Awesome. That. Are the hot winds a-blowing? Uh, hey, you know what I saw? Speaking of... Hot winds a-blowing or something else? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. Harley Davidson. What kind of... Uh, what what, what, what's your brand of super motorcycle? My brand of what? What brand is your fucking motorcycle? <laughs> your death machine. <laughs> Uh, is brand the right word? My, I ride a Yamaha, baby. Uh, okay, you're sold out. Make America great again, Brian. I'm sold out. Yeah. So, anyways, Harley, Harleys it, suck. They come in. They're well. Guess what? They're coming out with an electric Harley. Are they really? Yeah. So I love Harleys. You could save the environment before it kills you. To be clear, an electric motorcycle is still going to get you killed in Los Angeles. Yeah, hundred percent. But at least you'll be pumping out. I guess not pumping out anything. Uh, yeah, the whole point the is way. that there's nothing pumping out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. I'm going to look that up. That is actually very cool to hear. I, w- I would uh, guess that uh, zero of the people who are, like ride and live the Harley life uh, would would buy that, unfortunately. Right, because aren't they down... Uh, don't they really want the big noise? Oh, it's all about the fucking to... noise and the yeah. cool... You know, but what would be great is if we could uh, uh, turn that around Just a little t- bit. Put a little, like a little Bluetooth speaker on there. Yeah, sure. Why not? Can I ask a question? It's a logistic, yeah. Logistical question. So you got this oh, fucking... Oh, logistical? Okay. You got this fucking cat now, right? I do. She's sitting on my lap. She's adorable. When you got to take her... It's a her? It's a she? It's um, a she? When you got to take her to the vet, do you take her on the motorcycle? <laughs> no, of course not, you silly goose. What do you do? Uh, well, it's 2018, and I live in a large city. Uh-huh. There, the options are plentiful. Huh. Got it. So you've never taken your cat on the motorcycle? No. I, I, don't, I don't think she would like that. Let's imagine it's an emergency. Either she is in an emergency uh, or it's like San Andreas. Yeah. How, how do you strap your cat to your motorcycle? Is there, is there like, a, like a cupboard she can be put into? Or do you just wrap her up? You strap her to the tire. Like, how does it work? If it was an emergency, and I'm just coming up with this now because I haven't thought about it yet, mm-hmm. but go, oftentimes, go right now. Oftentimes You're running out I the do, door. Go. 
Okay, uh, I grab her little cat carrier. Uh-huh. And I put her in it. You think you got time to grab that? Where is it? it I know exactly. it's in the closet at the top shelf that I can reach without using a step stool because I'm very tall. It's Everything very is coming down around you. Everything is coming down around you. You got to go. How are you moving? Well, I need something to put her in. I'm not, I just can't hold her in my arms. Let's say you get out. outside and you can't go back inside. Now what do you do? Why have I left without it? Because you, it's a fucking nightmare out there and you can't... I put you, her under my shirt then. I put her under my shirt and I stick her head out the top by my neck out uh, of the shirt hole so she can breathe and we fucking ride to the vet. <laughs> I don't think we're going to the vet in this scenario, but... Uh, oh, it was just to get out? Was yeah, just it's get a, out just to a straight myself. up get out. Okay, interesting. Interesting. I think there's options. How does, uh, how does your, your, uh, your lady feel about your, this other feline in your life? Uh, she loves her. Who loves who? They're both she's. It's a mutual... Well, you asked me how my lady feels. Cats so don't love saying, anybody. But cat, your girlfriend loves, loves your cat? loves me. My cat loves my girlfriend. Yeah, really, they get along great. You know what your cat's doing? and It's not actually loving you. You know, it's just... It's plotting. It's some form of long con. Do you know that my good friend, fellow cat owner, has read information that <laughs> seems, good good start you got a real <laughs> leg to stand on that seems to suggest that cats dream often and mostly what they dream about is their owners murder no murdering their owners loving their owners throwing them over the side of a private vessel uh, she's our mascot number two you got to show some love unofficial unofficial is correct so I was telling you the story offline. I just thought you'd appreciate it. This is connected to nothing, except what we were saying. Oh, perfect segue. We were Didn't fake- you give me shit about segueing during this podcast episode? Yeah, but it was because you were doing a decent job of it. Oh, oh, I thought you were insulting me. I just, that's what you usually <laughs> do. Standard. Uh, <laughs> I have this buddy uh, and his... Uh, the story doesn't matter. He always say, You always say, uh, hey man, how you doing? He goes, great! And you're like, you're always taken aback because fucking nobody's doing great. Yeah. Um, he's not. He just likes to do it because it's, it's hilarious every time. He does it to me and I know it's coming and I tell the story and every time I'm just like, really? Because n- <laughs> nobody's doing great. Is it always followed up by what's actually going on and it's something bad? Yeah, and I'm like, really? And he goes, fuck no. No, yeah. definitely not. Uh, anyways, listen, um, let's, uh, let's, let's get through this thing. This is long enough. Let's go talk to Will. Let's talk to Will. Okay. Our guest today is Will Hackman. Uh, together, we're going to ask 2018, what is the business incentive for climate action? Big businesses, small mis- businesses. Uh, there's, there's movement, which is amazing. Uh, but what Finally. does it all mean? Uh, Will Hackman, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks yep. so much for being on the show. Will, uh, tell us uh, quickly uh, who you are and, and what you do. Sure. So I live in Washington, D.C. I'm from the Midwest originally. Where? Um, in Illinois. I grew up in northern Indiana, right outside of Chicago. And where? Where? Whereabouts? Crown Point, Indiana. I'm from there. Chicago. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. Chicago is my hometown, big city. And I lived in Peoria, Illinois for 10 years. Oh, nice. Well. I used to spend a lot of time there, actually. Yeah, I went to Bradley University. Oh, yes. Yeah. So did my best friend in the whole world. That it is, yeah. it is a small world. To be clear, Pretty that's wild. not me. That's you're you're, you're tier one, though. Ish. Sorry, yeah. go ahead, Will. <laughs> no, it was, it was great, you know, growing up in the Midwest. And uh, so then I started traveling to Alaska in college. I was a commercial salmon fisherman in the summer times in Homer, Alaska. And then I was a commercial Bering Sea crab fisherman, Baradai Tanner crab and Apelio snow crab in Dutch Harbor right after I graduated awesome. in the winter time. Uh, so then I came to DC and started working in politics 
got in the door at the, the base level as a political fundraiser, worked for an Illinois congresswoman at first, moved all over the country, working on various races in Wisconsin, Ohio, Massachusetts. And then I moved from electoral politics to issue advocacy about five years ago. And now I work in the nonprofit conservation community. I've done ocean conservation, uh, both at the domestic and international level. I've done clean energy, and now I do public lands conservation. So I'm still very much balancing the world of electoral politics and issue advocacy and conservation. Mm-hmm. And now climate climate change, for the last three years, I've been getting my degree part-time at Georgetown, Master in Public Policy, and I just graduated this May with a degree specializing in energy, environmental, and climate change policy. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. It's very, uh, very exciting. Wow. Um, Sounds like you're really slacking over there. Yeah. So here's <laughs> like, a question. Like to keep busy. What makes a man or a woman or really any human say, I would love to be a fisherman in the winter in Alaska? Uh, is this like some deadliest catch stuff we're talking about here? It is. Yep. Very good. Very good. Yeah, that's a good question. So I was a salmon fisherman. Uh, I'd always wanted to go to Alaska. I'd read books about Alaska growing up in the Midwest and I uh, had a friend of the family that I knew up there. So I reached out to him and he actually connected me with a friend of his who was a boat captain. So I got on my first boat when I was 18 between high school and college and it just changed my life. Uh, I'm actually going back to Alaska tomorrow yes. uh, for two two and a half weeks uh, for the first time in 10 years. And my life is very different now than the first time that I went up there. But it was such an eye-opening experience. It's so beautiful up there. Yeah. Uh, and so I had these experiences as a salmon fisherman. And I, when I graduated college, I graduated in December, I wanted one more kind of adventure. I also wanted to try to pay off some student loans. And I figured I'd always heard about crab and thought, why not? So I, I bought a w- one-way ticket uh, in the middle of the wintertime in January from, uh, from Chicago to Anchorage and then Anchorage to Dutch Harbor and didn't have enough money to get home. So I had to make it work. That's awesome. That's, that's insane. <laughs> Brian, you got to get off your ass and do something, man. I bought a one-way ticket to Mexico once, but it was just, just, just a chill on the beach. I didn't do much, sadly. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds that sounds pretty nice too. <laughs> oh, God, um, awesome, awesome, very very cool, and and just I'm impressed. Thank you. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's set up our conversation uh, uh, for today. Um, we uh, on this podcast operate on results oriented questions. Uh, why? What if? How? Questions uh, can shine a light on on where we need to go, and that is uh, what we want to do here. So uh, if that sounds okay, we can proceed. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So, Will, one question before we get started to get to the heart of why you're, why you're here with us today. Our listeners know it, uh, but instead of saying, tell us your life story, we like to ask, Will, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Why am I personally vital? Yep, time to toot your own horn. Well, um, Be bold. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean... I think a lot of people don't understand if, you know, if we want to focus on climate change as as the the main focus of that answer, you know, I think it's hard for a lot of people to figure out what's going on. And I've spent a lot of time, you know, I'm personally very passionate 
about climate change, environmental policy, mm-hmm. uh, public policy in general that moves us the right direction as a country mm-hmm. across a lot of different different issues. And I think addressing climate change is a very important role for public policy. Mm-hmm. So I, I've spent you know the last 10 years in my professional career, as well as personal passion and my academic experience now at Georgetown, learning a lot and talking to a lot of people at high levels of government and private sector and academia who are doing this and who have a lot more expertise than I do. But I've been able to get a good cross-section of information from a lot of different people in different sectors about what we need to do. So I think I I have a unique, uh, at least, education Mm -hmm. that I can hope to share with people. And, you know, given my political and advocacy background, I think um, I can hopefully provide some ideas for what we can do. I like it. It's amazing. That works for me. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, uh, we're going to move into today's stuff. Uh, We're going to establish some context for what we're talking about. And uh, I'm excited about this one because I think, as we were saying offline, it's one of those ones that people have heard uh, little tidbits about uh, alarm bells in one direction or another. And and that's about it. Uh, And so I want to get into the nitty gritty of it. Before that, we're going to do something we call Context 101 with Professor Brian who is not an economist or a a corporate titan or even a clean energy expert. Uh, But that's the point Mm. because most of our listeners aren't any of those things. Uh, He's a relatively, relatively being the keyword normal dude, uh, like the rest of us, who just so happens uh, to have to basically write a new book report every week, despite being a (laughs) 30-something-year-old man. Uh, So, so Brian, uh, let's hear it, man. No problem. Hit me. Give me your give me your business speak. All right. I know a lot of businessy words. Here they come. <laughs> Investors all over the world, uh, from uh, corporate boards to the smallest shareholders, are are pushing companies towards action. Shareholders. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Do you wear a suit and tie yeah. today? That's hilarious. Okay. I do have pants on. Uh, anyway, um, they're doing it not just because it's the right thing to do or because we're all connected on social media mm-hmm. or because we're all fucking lobsters out here basically. But, but also because it makes, it finally makes business sense. Uh-huh. I am not going to lie to you. I, I am who I am and I am not a hundred percent sure why or even what a corporate board does, but I'm into it. The clerk. Apple. Mm, <laughs> They're, they're the ones, they're the schmucks that took away Wayne Enterprises from Batman and Batman Begins. Do you remember that part? That old okay, guy? yeah. Yeah, remember, I, didn't I can relate. Didn't you get the memo? God, that sucked. But then, ooh, Batman got the last laugh, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he always does, right? He's fucking so Batman, sick. right? He's like a super damaged billionaire vigilante psychopath in bad ears. <laughs> uh, uh, and he's mostly on the good guy's side, but... Uh, Anyway, you know what? Let's get back to business and climate change. All right. right. But Batman is great. Um, Okay. So Apple, Google, it's 2018. And these guys are powered by uh, like all, all clean energy now. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Um, I mean, it's, it seems, it seems insane. Should it be insane anymore? No. I don't know. Um, So, uh, you know, why is it because some of these businesses interests are directly threatened? Sure. Uh, Maybe they're, maybe they're located on the coast, which, you know, not great. Yeah. They'll be underwater. Sure, but the biggest companies are everywhere now, right? With logistics and data centers and tax evasion. 
Yeah, but but not just those guys. Um, and I don't mean just like surfing companies. I mean like like Wall Street, like actual Wall Street. The the street it's going to be underwater and soon. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I've, you know, international businesses can relocate, but only for a while. And you know, there's people who can't relocate relocate their businesses, um, like businesses that are like specifically geographically oriented. Where are they going to go? Right, like who? Uh, like a like wineries. Sure. Uh, Napa sure. is on Napa, Napa is actually on fire, on yeah. real fire. They, it's crazy. They said like Napa is not going to be able to make the same wine in 25 years. That's insane, today. right? Businesses like that, like that, are built on their location, not literally, but but um, like that's their business plan. Like Atlantic City, uh, Disney World, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere on Miami Beach. Oh. Um, big businesses, they're the ones we hear about, but little businesses too. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't know. It seems like everyone's on board. Everyone uh, except the U.S. slash Russia. Um, but hey, that's a story for a different day. Then <laughs> I don't want to get into it because I don't want to die. Uh, and it and it's gaining momentum for a a buttload of reasons. Um, I I I, ha- I have a ton I have a ton of reasons uh-huh. right here on my, in my reports. I have a whole bunch of papers right here with stats and stuff. But we should I don't want to get into it all. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, that's super helpful. Um, I think the thing we'll probably nod to or at least get more context from Will on because uh, he seems to be the most well-read human on the planet about this is uh, the <laughs> Paris Agreement and what that has done carrot and stick wise. Uh, to drive this, um, if at all, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Let's find out. So, uh, the question today is what business incentives for clean energy and climate action now exist, uh, existed before and might exist in the future, uh, besides us, you know, not all being reduced to a small group of genetically limited humans living in a cave somewhere besides, <laughs> besides that incentive. So pretty real- good incentive. It, theoretically, yeah. Uh, so, Bill, why for the past couple of years has the business community started leading the way on climate action? Yeah, so I, I thought that was a really good setup. And no, don't encourage. I, I would, I would, yeah, I would take issue with the United States not being committed, and and we can get back to that because there are Ooh, nice. things that I like. I like to try to correct the record on on a couple things one being the u.s is still in the paris agreement true the a lot of the reporting on this until 2020 crazy yeah well you know it remains to be seen if if president trump uh gets elected to a second term will he actually pull out of the paris agreement right uh will he try to negotiate different terms and and there's nobody knows yeah a lot, a lot is up in the air. Uh, a lot can happen in the next two years. So, but the U.S. actually has done so much to combat climate change. We've reduced our CO2 or carbon dioxide emissions by more than any other country in the world as a total amount of CO2. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've reduced faster than any other country in the world. Uh, we were leading the nego- negotiations going into the Paris Agreement. I mean, arguably, we couldn't have gotten the Paris Agreement without the leadership from people in the United States like President Obama and Secretary sure. Kerry and and uh, Jonathan Pershing and others who did such a great job behind the scenes getting that ready. So, so the U.S. has done a lot. And what the Paris Agreement is, it's an international agreement that allows for certain countries to backslide at different times. It's an incredibly intuitive international agreement. Backslide in what direction? What do you mean by that? Well, if, you know, over the next 30 or 40 years, as we're working towards the goals of the Paris Agreement, if there is a country that pulls out temporarily or doesn't meet its individual goals, the Paris Agreement is the structure that helps 
move the whole international community together collectively towards our climate goals. And so it doesn't really focus on one individual country or penalize one individual country. It's this huge framework that pulls people together and through diplomacy and through these international conferences and other side conferences that are happening, you know, every year as well. Hopefully we can move the direction we need to move. And it's it's this big experiment. The world has never tried this level of international True. cooperation before, but right. it's it's an amazing intuitive document. And I do think that the market signal the Paris Agreement sent uh, back in 2015 indicated that this is the direction that governments are going around the world, that we're finally getting serious on climate change. We've been meeting for 21 years, and now we have this Paris Agreement. And we've, we've had the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change as the framework for these meetings for a long time. But now we have this mm -hmm. agreement that commits all countries in the world to limiting uh, global warming to no more than two degrees Celsius above mm. pre-industrial levels by the year 2100. So that's it's a, that's the goal of the Paris Agreement, no right. more than two Celsius by 2100. And how we get there is up to individual countries and the plans they choose to submit. Every country is approaching it a different way. So there is a lot of flexibility on how we get there. And then there'll be these these big reports and these big mm -hmm. periods of analysis that that the UN will do to figure out where we are collectively. So that's that's the framework of the Paris Agreement. I'm happy to talk more about that. But what that did is send this signal to the business sector. And you know, in response, clean energy finance has started to flow in, in record numbers over the last couple of years. Bank of America has a $125 billion fund to fund clean energy and sustainability financing uh, by 2025 to help the United States meet its initial goal under the Paris Agreement. Uh, Wells Fargo has committed $200 billion through 2030. You know, large companies are taking action to reduce their greenhouse gas what, emissions. What are those huge funds going towards exactly? So they're helping to fund other clean energy projects and other startups and smaller companies, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, they're banks. Yeah. So people come to them and they submit ideas and they say, we want to build these solar panels somewhere. And and so these funds are for that reason, for, mm -hmm. for a whole list of different qualifying programs that, that that fund is committed to. And so that's, that's the type of finance flows that we need to get this started. And there's tons sure. of other examples. You mentioned large companies like Google committing to be 100% renewable. Mm -hmm. uh, McDonald's, McDonald's has pledged to reduce their CO2 emissions by 2030. That would be an equivalent of taking 32 million passenger cars off the road for an entire year. Does that include, um, I'm, I'm curious, I want, does that include uh, the emissions produced by the meat that they use? Yeah, that's interesting. Or is that just real estate, I wonder? That's a good question. I think that is just from their supply chain, uh, from trucks, shipping, uh -huh. uh, from their real estate operations. I'm not sure. Because, if boy, I would love to see, again, it would be an estimate, of course, because they're never going to release it, but an estimate on, on the, uh, how many burgers they're serving every day, what the emissions are from the meat that's just going I to I can only burger. imagine. 
Well, and that's that's actually a really good question because that gets into how you do corporate greenhouse gas accounting. Sure. And there there are a few different ways to do that. And companies can decide how they are accounting for their greenhouse gas emissions. And are they only accounting for their own direct operations or are they also accounting from all their suppliers? And in case like McDonald's, they should account for all their suppliers in their greenhouse gas. Um, right. Theoretically, accounting. because but, there's no supply without their suppliers. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the good news is more than 90 percent of global 500 companies now are using some sort of corporate standard to try to address mm-hmm. their. So as shareholders push companies to become more sustainable and to commit more to the future, and as millennials take higher levels of leadership opportunities in these companies, you're really seeing uh the private sector moved the right direction. And so, I mean, my my angle on this is more policy focused, but I was at the last three UN climate conferences and I was in Morocco in 2016 and I saw then Secretary of State John Kerry give an impassioned speech about continuing to commit the goal to the goals of the Paris Agreement uh, passed just that previous year. And he, he said something that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, He said, it's not going to be governments alone or even principally that solve the climate challenge. The private sector is the most important player. So Hmm. since then, I've really been thinking about that as my role in in public policy and politics and in the conservation community. What is the role of the private sector and, and how can government help incentivize the private sector? Because that's really where the money is going to come from. Sure. How do how does the will how does the Paris Agreement like specifically um, and like we said just again to clarify we are still part of the Paris Agreement uh, until twenty twenty how did how does it speak specifically to corporate interests and and action not government standards or incentives but if it even does I mean because it seems to me like uh, your encapsulation so far is there's been business action now in the past uh, you know two to six years because. One, for the first time, there's an actual relatively dependable signal on this is just the way things are going economy wise and and business wise for the first time where the question was before Paris was like, are they even going to get this non-binding agreement done like Kyoto, which was complicated, obviously. But uh, number two is it's it's becoming more affordable, if not in many cases and with some of these new energy deals becoming the most affordable way to to pay for the energy your business uh, requires. And three, I mean, it seems like it's probably the right thing to do for your stock price without becoming like a full on, you know, B company. Four is, you know, we're going to die. I'm kidding. Uh, but so, so without those things, are there specifics in the Paris Agreement that speak to corporate interest of any level? Uh, incentives, carrots or sticks? Yeah. So I think there's a couple ways to answer that question. So the, the entire framework of these, international negotiations that happen each year in different countries around the world. And they've been happening now for, I think, around the 24th year of the official, they're called the Conference of Parties. So this year, it'll be COP24 in Poland. And so there are these huge frameworks, these huge conferences where everybody comes together, where you have governments and academia and nonprofits and the business community. And there is a huge representation from the business community, from energy companies, uh, traditional energy Mm -hmm. and clean energy, you know, all the stakeholders 
are coming to these conferences now. And I think there's been less engagement in the past, but definitely since the Paris Agreement over the last few years, as we take more and more steps towards the clean energy you know, revolution of, of mm. the world economy, which really is happening. I mean, that that is businesses, businesses are investing more and more in clean energy each year at an exponential rate. So these are great opportunities to network and to meet with delegates from different countries that you're working in. If you're a large corporation and you can attend uh, official briefings and press conferences and you can get your name out there and you, mm. um, so it's, that part of diplomacy of of these UN conferences, I think, is so important because it brings everybody together and it gets them talking. And it, it you know, there's all sorts of side conversations happening at the same time. There's agreements being made and alliances being formed. What are some of the most surprising sort of agreements and alliances you've seen come come forth since Paris itself? This last year, well, the last conference that I attended in in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, actually, that was two years ago. The last conference was in Bonn, Germany last year, and I was I was at that one as well. So that one actually, I think, was the most important conference mm-hmm. for subnational actors in the 25-year history of, of these negotiations. Why is that? So, so especially given the United States' indication that we may not stay in the Paris Agreement, you've had this huge surge of subnational actors, so mm-hmm. cities states, corporations, religious institutions, tribal right. entities come come together and say, we are still in. And there is this great right. coalition in the United States now called the We Are Still In Coalition. What we are seeing now is kind of this open rebellion when it comes to climate change to make sure that we're still moving the right direction, regardless of what the federal government does. And now you have so many people involved in this coalition that I think it represents something like a third of the entire GDP of the United States and almost 100 million people at this point. So there really is this incredible amount of progress. And to a certain extent, the federal government has done part of its job in getting the United States involved in the Paris Agreement and passing things like the Clean Air Act, which is the best piece of environmental legislation that the world has ever seen. And it Mm -hmm. continues the Clean Air Act continues to be an incredibly important piece of legislation. That's what the Clean Power Plan was created under, uh, even though it didn't uh, go into effect in, in the end. But at this point, it, it really is up to the subnational actors, the cities, the states, the companies, to figure out how we're actually going to implement the Paris Agreement. That's where they come in. And so that's that's the alliance. Those are the alliances that are being made at this point is okay, we've signed this agreement. Now what? Now how do we make Miami resilient to rising seas? How do we make California resilient to drought and wildfires? Those are going to require state and local policies and technological innovation and private sector funding. And uh, that's that's how we're going to implement the Paris Agreement. I thought of one other thing. Um, yeah, please. Just thinking, thinking more at the macro level. If I could throw that in there before yep. we move away from from the large corporations, yeah, Mark. Yeah. So, so I, I read recently that the Bank of America market analysts estimated that clean energy uh, will grow by thirteen trillion dollars by twenty thirty around the world. Clean mm-hmm. energy is already one of the fastest growing industries in the world. Um, in order to implement the goals of the Paris Agreement, you know, keeping 
things under two degrees Celsius, we need $75 trillion in global clean energy investments by 2040. That's according to the International Energy Agency. Right. So this, this is the scale of funding that we talk about when we talk about unlocking the power of the private sector. Sure. And what I, what I think Secretary Kerry was talking about as the role of the private sector and in finance flows and the role of government to help create the foundation and the framework for those finance flows to happen. Um, I mean, there is an incredible amount of money for the private sector to make in, in meeting this challenge. And the, and the cost of wind, solar, and other renewable energies have fallen dramatically in recent years. So in some parts of the world, it's actually cheaper to, you know, if you've got a billion dollars that you want to invest in clean energy, uh, in some places it is now cheaper to invest that in wind and solar than it is in coal. Sure. Sure. Damn. That's, yeah, it's fascinating. And it is, you know, we just had a conversation with a a, a young woman who's just so awesome. Her calls herself the space gal, Emily Calandrelli, uh, yep. who's an online educator, inspiration motivator, also a genius engineer from MIT. Uh, and, you know, our question to her was, and we try to try to be comprehensive and play devil's advocate in places was, you know, why the hell should we be focusing on space exploration when the planet is on fire? And, you know, her answer was great. And the first one was, is like all of these businesses that are making a lot of money in space and that will in this potentially enormous industry, uh, you know, we're supported by government funding and wouldn't exist if we weren't putting those resources into them. And it feels that way with clean energy too, which is whether you're someone who's working a, a business or individual working in the sector, or you're a business or individual that, that, that is, you can either save money on your electric costs, or you could be someone, a business that exists on a present technology, or you're maybe one of these companies that's trying to work on new solid state batteries for storage, whatever. There could just be a, a frankly incredible amount of money made. I mean, you think about the efforts that, you know, once these things really get cranking, it doesn't even feel like they are yet, but the incentives are solidifying on there, especially if, and when a carbon tax does go into effect and if it's big enough and it, and it, and it rises, you know, along with costs and, and things like that and becomes a, a real penalty. Um, you know, the incentives are there to just be, you know, World War II level economic effect, you know, a paradigm shift of money. Absolutely. And it's exciting for people, too, who are in business school right now. Young people graduating from business school are, are going into impact investing. They're going into social entrepreneurship. They're trying to make a difference when it comes to the large challenges of our time, whether they're social or environmental challenges. And so impact investing has is, is gained all this momentum in recent years, and big funds are now uh, addressing that and creating um, innovative new blended finance mechanisms to help stimulate impact investing as well. So I think you know, it's, it's a generational shift. On, on one end, but people are really excited about it at, at all levels. And so that that shift is helping to drive certain things. But I mean, getting back to what you said about how the government has helped to stimulate a lot of these things in the in space exploration, uh, RPE uh, with, with the Department of Energy, it's the Advanced Research Projects Agency. They have had an incredible, it's basically a, an incubator that helps to take amazing creative ideas and research them and bring them to 
to a, a, an ability for the private sector to, to take over and then take it into the private sector and make money off of it. And it's had an incredibly, you know, RPE, Department of Energy, they've worked very closely with business and with clean energy companies to bring so many of these ideas to market. And they've had an inc uh, incredibly successful track record. And that's just one example of, of many ways that the government works with the private sector to help them. So I think, I think there seems to be this divide in uh, modern day U.S. society between government and business. And I think a lot of business people think the government is stifling growth and and they have to do something different. Uh, and I think a lot of the government workers don't understand the private sector as much as they should. And I think it would really help both sides to, to come together a lot more. I and mean, that's the only way that we're going to be able to address climate change or any large issue is to bring the public sector and the private sector together. Sure. I am very optimistic about the future. And, and I think Thank you. it's Love very it. important. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I think it. it's really important that we, we talk about these things in an optimistic way. And we think about the future that we can build mm -hmm. if we fully commit to clean energy. And if we are building these amazing skyscrapers and cities that have trees and cascading gardens and rooftop gardens that are providing the vegetables for all the city dwellers to eat. And we've got electric cars and the air quality is so much better. I mean, imagine what the world would look like if we were living sustainably within the world. And sure. right now we are, we are not, the sure. world is in, is in decline. So that, that is a version of the future that I think is, is amazing. And I, I really do think we can get there, but it, it takes such large institutional changes and the scale sure. is so large at this point, we have to remake all of our energy structure. We have to remake our entire transportation system. We have to make cars, planes, trains, ships, all electric, and they have to all be powered from renewable energy. And this needs to happen in the next 30 years. I mean, we, yeah, we have to decarbonize in order to meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. We have to decarbonize the entire world by 80 to 100 percent by 2050. So that's 30 years from now. It's, it's no big. Yeah, no, no big. Yeah, no issue. No, and, no, and no big know, deal. That's the thing is it is we we find it important to both give that to the people straight so they can understand the depth and the breadth of what we're dealing with and that we're very far behind the eight ball and then give them a second to take a deal deep fucking sigh and maybe have a drink. <laughs> uh, but then after, and what I want to start, you know, moving towards here is, all right, if that's the thing, how do we break these things up into uh, action items? How do we compartmentalize? How do we start to address this thing? Cause there's no just one big thing as much as I think yeah. people feel a lot of the time that, you know, all right, if it's these big businesses, uh, how, how the fuck do I affect that? Besides like not buying my underwear from target anymore, not saying targets a bad person. Uh, but you know what I mean? It's like, we always tell people we try to do is focus in on steps they can take with their, their voice, uh, their vote and their dollar. Um, so, so that's kind of what I angle toward. But Absolutely. And, and it's, that's the conversation that's happening around the world right now. And so it's really interesting. We're all in this conversation together where we've passed these huge macro things like the Paris agreement. And now we're all collectively drilling down uh, in, in countries all over the world. Like, what does this mean? to my state, to my city, sure, to my sure. individual way. And, and that is 
and you know, nobody has, uh, has all the answers. I mean, obviously recycle, do what you can to reduce your carbon emissions. Um, you know, your carbon footprint living in cities, you know, the, the world is becoming more urban. Uh, cities produce a lot of energy demand and the more we do in to green cities, and to go with public transportation and electric forms of transportation, the the, the better. Yeah. And, and I got a lot of, I, I have some thoughts and questions on that. Uh, just in general thinking recently, I was in Boston and New York and obviously live most of the time in Los Angeles. And they talk about 40 million more Americans are going to live in cities over the next, you know, 20 years. And I just look at the way these cities are so far, uh, have been completely incapable of handling the current population rush. Uh, both energy-wise and housing-wise and affordability-wise. And I just don't really see where the math adds up on that. I wonder if there's going to be some severe backlash there. But, you know, I I do want to go back real quick before we actually start to dive into those action steps just a little bit. We talked about there being an incredible amount to be made in clean energy if you are someone who's participating in that very uh, beginner and and soon-to-be flourishing market. So imagine you're uh, some 21-year-old hotshot either business person, let's say the Steve Jobs, or you're the, you're the uh, engineer or scientist, you know, Steve Wozniak, what's the first place you think to participate in this market would be the low hanging fruit for these rising entrepreneurs? I, I think that in, more and more people are getting interested in impact investing. You know, a lot of, you know, an entrepreneur wants to create his or her own business and they, you know, they build out their business plan and they figure out what they want to do and what they want to address. And more and more people in business school are taking a look at challenges in society and they're saying, I want to build a business, but I want it to address, you know, cleaning up the oceans. You know, I want to, I want to, I'm, I'm a business person. I want to partner with somebody who's got technical expertise in ocean conservation or somebody who knows how to build something that's going to go out there and physically clean up plastics uh, right. from the ocean. And so more, more and more of these incubators are spouting up. They're helping people figure out how they want to direct their, their talent. But, uh, I, you know, I, there's no one answer to where people can start, right. but I think which is great. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I'm just curious if there's yeah. something where you're like, boy, if I could figure this out, I mean, you know, the, the battery thing is fascinating. Apparently, right. uh, serial inventor, investor, clean energy guy, Bill Joy has invested in this battery company. I think at a MIT, I think definitely out of Boston. That claims to have doubled the uh, the storage and and I, I believe uh, retention rate of of solid state batteries um, somehow, which would be a, wow, literally a complete game changer. Whoever solves yeah, that, from, from whoever solves that is gonna, whoever solves that is going to be a, a trillionaire. It's going to be insane. But there's got, there's got to be a lot of places that um, uh, you know a lot of there's probably a lot of home potential home runs. That might require billions of dollars of R and D, but there, I would imagine there's a bunch of low hanging fruit out there too. You know, you just see some of these smart home companies are coming up, making making just the light bulb. You know, talk to me uh, one more, uh, just one last thing before we get into the steps here, um, because it seems like one of the most confusing factors for a resident, or maybe even an entrepreneur, talk about uh, you know navigating a wild west, is the utilities. So. There are mm. currently, you know, literally city by city and sometimes state by state or by the region, there are a lot of obstacles to a totally clean grid, right? There's there's technology we haven't figured out, like how to make this energy flexible and how to best store it. I mean, California now wants to turn the Hoover Dam into a huge battery. But starting with the, the players that are participating in the grid themselves, 
from from flexibility to pricing to backups and, and of course their own financial incentives how are post paris utilities and again i know it's a very wide answer helping or not helping the situation is there a model uh that's that's working and fruitful in the u.s that's that's a great question and and that might be a little bit outside of my expertise really dr- drilling into the nitty-gritty don't of worry the everything's public, out of our public expertise. utility so whatever you say we'll just go with <laughs> you know i i am not an expert on the public utility commissions in different states i know there are different zones and in, in uh, different parts of the country that work a lot differently and there's buyers and sellers and um you know i think from an investment standpoint we've seen a huge amount of investment going into industrial, commercial, and residential utility scale, clean energy. Uh, one policy lever that's been used for that very effectively, this is what I wrote my uh, my master's thesis on, was mm-hmm. the uh, business investment tax credit, the ITC, which provided a 30% tax credit right. to solar installations for all those sectors for you know commercial, industrial, residential level uh solar operations all right so you know um, something about it you're you're shirking a yourself bit, a little bit, bit. easy so does <laughs> that tax thesis, credit sure, sure. yeah okay my master's thesis uh <laughs> does your does that tax credit still exist does anything still exist it it does it does <laughs> and it's been you know arguably I've, I've heard people make the argument that that tax credit alone has been more effective than uh, than the carbon tax would have been that was proposed back in 2010, or that the clean power, if we just continued this 30% tax credit for uh-huh. solar installations, we would have a larger impact on incentivizing clean energy, at least in over the next five years than the clean power plan would have had. So there, there are certain things like that that sure. are already happening. They're already implemented. You know, the the ITC, the, the tax credit I'm talking about, mm-hmm. It, it's currently scheduled to phase down. So over the next few years, it will be reduced from 30% down. And mm-hmm. that may... So right now, that's... Is that under the, the assumption that, hey, everything is working, you don't need this uh, You don't need this incentive anymore? Or is that just a hijink? That was, that was the negotiation between the political parties when this was mm-hmm. passed as, as part of the... Uh, there was the omnibus spending sure. bill a couple sure. couple years ago, and then there was this tax extenders piece. Um, so that was the negotiation that people agreed to. And you know, I, I hope the, the ITC has had a very tumultuous um, history. It's been uh, it's expired, and then it's been retroactively applied. Uh, you know, a mm-hmm. year later when it's been reintroduced, and then they said, okay, you know, it was expired for this year, but we're going to give you the tax credit anyway to these companies that made the right decision. So there's still plenty of things that can happen, but Things like that reduced the barriers to entry for, I mean, what we, what I think everybody knows in the United States is that electricity is, it's hard to break into yeah. that market. You sure. can't just create a electric company and go out there and start selling no. large amounts of electricity right. to people. So the barriers of entry in the electric power sector are very, very high. Sure, you know, There's sure. These, these institutional players that have been at it for a very long time. And some of the institutional players are starting to invest in clean energy as well. And, and by the way, I, now- I understand why some of them are, are, it might seem like they're acting out of, uh, they're being mal- malicious or, or, or evil, but I understand why some are, are honestly acting out of a fear over the, the strength and reliability of their grid when they say to people, hey, listen, man, 
sure, solar and wind are cool, but sometimes the wind stops blowing and the sun stops shining because we have things called winter and we don't have any place to reliably store that stuff uh, is fair. I mean, I think it's getting better, but at the same time, again, it is the way things are going. And it's, it's really frustrating when you see, I mean, I think there's, I haven't checked up on it recently, but there, there's a couple states that, you know, uh, make it very difficult for you to put solar on your home and, and uh, will yeah. almost outright yeah. penalize you or, or worse, which has been the problem is it bounces back and forth. And so nobody can commit to something and saying, sure, this solar installation has a, has a 30 year uh, warranty on it. But uh, while I get money from the grid now, if I go net zero uh, in two years, when, you know, jackass McJackass takes office, uh, that might reverse. And I might be like, why did I spend all this money? You know, because I think we've realized that a lot of folks aren't going to do anything just because it's the right thing to do, whether it's on a personal level or the business level. Absolutely. And it seems like the utilities are in a similar boat. You know, it's always hard for an institution to pivot, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's time to pivot, man. Absolutely. I mean, that's where public policy has the role to provide market certainty. And when you pass a five-year extension of a tax credit that reduces barriers to entry for clean energy companies to help compete against traditional fossil fuel companies like the ITC has done, that provides that market certainty to those companies, at least for the you know, next five to 10 year period. Yeah. But when yeah. it expires every year, when it's a political fight every year, then these companies are, are very hesitant and, uh, and that trickles down to the consumer. But you know, I hear this a lot that, uh, that wind and solar, when the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing, what, what are, are we gonna have rolling blackouts? And there's been a lot of research that shows that renewable energy actually addresses uh, intermittent power issues mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. And we we can... So there's this really interesting thing uh, with concentrated solar power, CSP. Mm-hmm. Wait, the, quick the note. Big... Brian, do you remember mm-hmm. five minutes ago when Will said he didn't know anything about this? <laughs> yeah, what was the quote? Well, I can't yeah. speak to... Right. Ten minutes later, he's pushing his glasses up his nose and going, well, actually... Will, you're so modest. <laughs> Yeah, keep going, please. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I know, I know a little bit about this, I guess, but there's, okay. you know, there's so much to dig into. But what I do know about some of the new technologies that are coming out there, so CSP, the solar towers out in the desert, where these these big mirrors that are reflected back up at these towers, and it's superheating uh, water to generate steam to generate power. Obviously, that needs to happen during the day. But what they've started doing at these big and that is utility level solar, um, you know, generating a lot of power. What they've started doing, and I don't know what the exact word is for it, but there's these tanks filled with molten salt. And so they'll heat up during the day, you know, they'll generate the power from the solar uh, towers. And then the towers will heat up these tanks of molten salt to very high temperatures. And then all night long, they will continue to run the steam generated. There'll be enough power from those molten salt tanks to keep the energy flowing all night. Hundred percent so- sounds like a James Bond villain. Uh, you're just <laughs> sitting here explaining like exactly what your plan is and how you're going to melt everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really fascinating. But that is basically a battery. They basically True. created these these big bat. You know, and there's other examples of really genius ways that people are trying to solve these issues what happens when the sun goes down and they've they've done it 
they've, to a certain extent, they've solved the issue. Fascinating. Wow, sir. All right. So say I am a uh, business owner, which is a stretch I realize. You don't need to laugh. You don't need to laugh like that. Maybe I own a barcade. That'd be fun. Just keep... Let's go. What, what, what's my first step to both um, you know, s- sign on to these pledges uh, and then also to start to ma- make changes for, for my business itself? For your barcade? Or my barcade or my which, salon. Which, I don't way, know. I, I will take it back. I love a barcade. But two, Thank you. I bet they use a fair amount of energy. Those old machines, uh, not exactly green. Yeah, see, that was a good example of a, of a small business. Fine, fine. Go ahead. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's get specific. Yeah, that, that, and that gets back to you know, the, the residential level and the small business level. Right. And I've been, I've been dancing around this a little bit to try to figure out how to address it because... You know, to a certain extent, does it matter if you change the light bulbs in your house yeah. if we are not transitioning our entire transportation network? And right. you know, does it matter if this small business in um, a small town in Virginia is completely renewable or is recycling or, uh, or using biodegradable straws, which everybody should use, by the way. We should no longer use plastic straws. Oh, yeah. Very easy to use, biodegradable. That's a whole other issue, but the amount of plastic. There's so many issues cheap. we can talk about. Well, and so this many is, issues. You know, we talked about this recently uh, on here and we've talked about in our newsletter a bunch, which is, you know, somebody put out a, we did one podcast with a gentleman who's uh, another genius, uh, actual rocket engineer out in uh, uh, Pasadena um, at JPL. And he wrote a book uh, effectively, you know, talking about what are the most important things you can do as a single human uh, to, have oh, yeah. an, to have an effect, to make you feel like you're having an effect, knowing that if we're not transitioning the entire energy system, then we're, you know, uh, fucked up the river anyways. Um, and then there was yeah. another report recently, two weeks ago, something like that, that that graphic, Brian, which you can put in the show notes, showing the, the, the most uh, effective things you can do as a single human. Cause I do think it's, again, we, we come back to your voice, your vote and your dollar and, and your dollar can be as simple as, as, uh, you know, uh, switch to an electric car, but it can also be when, when you ask yourself, how to, how the fuck does Brian affect the, the, you know, the world energy system transitioning to, to just wait till to, I own my barcade to electric. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be part of it as you're draining <laughs> the power out of the city. Um, you know, it's also withholding your dollar from that institution or supporting an institution right. that does use it because they might be someone like Apple or Google with, I don't think people realize when they're like, Oh cool. The Apple stores are on, uh, you know, uh, clean energy. It's you know, fuck those. It's these data centers that consume just incredible amounts of energy. And if those are renewable, then those are actually affecting, uh, in 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 total, are infecting uh, affecting the energy grid. And <laughs> and you can either support those businesses or not on that level. Um, right. but but I am curious. You know, again, if you are yes. a business owner of some sort, so uh, you know, sort of, what's the first step to sign on to these type of pledges or to support Paris? can you go to those meetings and find out in general, maybe you want to start a, a regional business, small business support group that says we're still in and find out exactly what those people can do, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm curious um, if you know of any specific yeah. things that they can do to start to make efforts there. Again, we really try to get into the specifics for folk and we've talked a lot about what yeah, a ab- citizen ab- can absolutely. do. Absolutely. And I, I 100% agree with everything that you just said. And there are so many things that you can do. And, and I kind of, differentiate the whole umbrella of sustainability mm-hmm. and the personal choices and business decisions that people can do to make sure that they're 
being more sustainable and that their carbon footprint and their waste products and everything is much lower. There's a whole host of things you can do, again, using biodegradable straws if you're a restaurant or something like that. Um, that's sustainability. And then climate change policy, to me, is more about reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And businesses can put solar panels on their roof or they can mm-hmm. uh, make sure that they're signing up from their utility to incentivize the utility to take their power from renewable energy facilities outside of the city or you know a lot of dc does that where you have a choice where you can say i want my power to come from renewable energy if so if you wow. go to yeah so if you go to we are still mm-hmm. as a business you can click on take action you can click on get started and you can submit your name of your business or organization and you can take the pledge right and guess what just went onto your to-do list Oh, are you kidding? I already wrote it down. Look at you. And there is, so that's a, it's a great coalition uh, that's building a lot of different members involved that we've already talked about, but you can pledge your business to be still into helping the United States meet the goals of the Paris Agreement. I think that's the, the best coalition that you can join right now. There are other state and local chapters of uh, lots of other organizations that you can join. If you want to do more in the conservation community, um, you know, Sierra Club or World Wildlife Fund or, you know, others to get more involved at that local level. And and that might be how you can go to one of the United Nations conferences if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who come from uh, from the, the civic community, uh, civil civil society. I was looking for the the word for that but there are tens tens of thousands of people from civil society who show up at these conferences and some have to stay in certain areas if they can't get full credentials but you know if you want to buy a plane ticket and go over to poland to go to uh this year's united nations conference you can and you might not be able to go to all of the meetings but mm-hmm. um i had a great so i had credentials what if we say we prep- know will hackman <laughs> That Where will work. that get us? You can try that. You know, I, so I was representing. We're on the Georgetown. list. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you can you can get credentials a number of different ways, and there are some organizations that you can join where you can help out with that. Or if you're part of school, uh, most academic or a lot of academic institutions have credentials to attend these types of conferences. That's mm-hmm. how I went. I went representing Georgetown, uh, but you can still just go as as a participant, and you can stream the meetings as well online. So if you go, uh, you know, if you Google the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change or the the UN climate meetings or, you know, any number of different ways to try to find information on these meetings that happen each year, they have media links where you can watch uh, the the negotiations every day. Fascinating. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm sure we'll have some listeners that... Um you know, want to not only take these measures as a, as a human or as the, you know, with and for their family or, you know, for their small business, but also think like, fuck, I want to get everybody in town on board on this and help educate them and drag them into the future, but also maybe my state or my region. Because again, like you said, it's, it's a bunch of subnational actors and, and that's, what's really going to help them move the needle in the time being until we can, you know, uh, kick this piece of shit out of office. So, <sighs> All right. Let's uh let's 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 wrap it up here, huh? Um yep. 
First of all, Will, thank you very much for being on the podcast today and thank chatting you. with us. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank much you. appreciated. Thank you again. I can talk about this for hours. Hell yeah. I get it. yeah. Obviously, even though you quote unquote don't know anything about certain <laughs> things. It's all relative here, Will. Let's hit it with the lightning round. First question, not a lightning round question. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, it's going well over here. Uh, hey, Will, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? would have to say, you know, when I was a fisher, surprisingly, when I was a fisherman in Alaska, I really got a, a conservation bug for the first time and really understood the power of, of nature and protecting these amazing places like the North Pacific Ocean and these fisheries that I was working in and and understood our interaction between industrial society and, and commercial fishing operations and and how that interacts with the ocean. So I think that really, that drove me to come to DC in a lot of ways. And even though I went into politics at first, I then came back to political issue advocacy, working on ocean issues. And uh, that's still, that was my introduction to climate change was ocean conservation. And I still very, very passionate about the, the health of our oceans. That's where 50% of all the oxygen that we breathe comes from every other breath that we take comes from the oceans. So, uh, you know, that was kind of my gateway drug to climate change. So yeah, I think, I think that I'd have to say that. That's awesome. Uh, well, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? And you can't say Brian. As much as you might want to, Will, you can't say me. Somebody that has positively impacted my work in the past six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my thesis advisor, I would have to, I have, I spent so much time with my thesis advisor graduating my Georgetown McCourt School program. And who is this human? Uh, Dr. Andreas Kern. Awesome. He, he was very patient with me as I was working full time and blew through almost all of my deadlines, but managed to pull it together at the end of the day and got it over the finish line. So I'm incredibly grateful to him. Awesome. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed by all this shit? Specifically, what is what is Will Hackman's uh, self care? I go outside. I, tomorrow, yeah. I'm on a plane. <laughs> tomorrow, I'm getting on a plane and going to Alaska for for two weeks. And I do a lot of backpacking around DC. I get out into West Virginia and Virginia and Maryland, and um, I go kayaking and stand up paddleboarding and biking. And Rock Creek Park isn't far away from where I live. And just, just getting outside, no matter if it's a small park or in the middle of the wilderness, it always resets me. I, I, I was wondering if you had seen the video where the guys stand up paddleboarding and all the dolphins are coming at him and then one just jumps out of the water and knocks on the fuck off. <laughs> it can't be real, right? <laughs> I, it can't be I real. haven't seen that one. I mean, you dolphins, are, it, Will. dolphins are okay. awesome. Yeah, uh, but, so but God, that, I, that can't be real. Maybe it's fake. I don't know. Yeah, I'll have I'll have to check that out. Yeah, such a good answer in general. By the way, I think the last person we uh, had a conversation with said that same thing. Like, just get outside where you belong and reset. Yeah, breathe in some fresh air. Yeah, Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, Hey, Will, how do you? How do you? (laughs) What? When you're in the darkness. When you're in the darkness. No. Um. How How do you consume the news? Through every form of communication that I can. So I listen to the Meet the Press podcast every week. 
Um, I really enjoy Meet the Press. Uh, I think it's a great show and it tends to set the news agenda for the week. I read the Washington Post, the New York Times. I read E&E News, which is covers a lot of different cl- energy and climate change related mm-hmm. things. It's a, it's a subscription based, but it's more it's kind of like the trade journal for for energy and environment related policy news. Mm-hmm. I think I, I feel like I spend most of my day reading different things, local outlets across the country, national outlets. I'll I'll read conservative outlets mm-hmm. as well, you know, to see Very important. What, their per, what their perspective is. I think I think it is really important to understand the perspective from both sides and to to figure out, you know, how certain policies are being digested in the public. So I, and, you know, obviously Facebook, Twitter, I follow some reporters on, on Twitter. So I'm consuming news constantly and it's, it's great. I, you know, I think it, it feels good to stay informed and it doesn't really stress me out. I I feel like I, I need, I'm one of those people that, that needs a lot of information. Awesome. That's fair. As long as you're finding time to walk away. And it sounds like you're completely (laughs) going dark and signing off the grid for two and a half weeks. We'll try to keep the lights on while you're gone. That's so awesome. Last one. I really, I really enjoy uh, podcasts too. So I, you know, your guys's podcast and um, the New York times daily and NPR uh, PBS. Actually, I, I will give a plug to PBS because nobody does investigatory journalism better than PBS frontline. Yeah. And they're incredible frontline reports on the EPA, on the election, on Russia, you know, frontline is, is great. For sure. Good to know. Um, all right. Will, if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? That is a great question. And assuming that he would read it. Assuming well, that he would read it or, or that somebody will read it to him. Or show him the pictures, whatever, whatever it is. So, you know, again, my... My entrance to climate change was related to the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually it. have a, I have a tattoo on my left wrist of uh, the Chinese symbol for the ocean nice. um, that I got after after the first year that I was fishing in Alaska. So, aren't tattoos the, great? Yeah, they they are. So, Dr. Yeah. Sylvia Earle, who who I've met, um, she's a National Geographic explorer and residence. She was the first female chief scientist of um, NOAA. Uh, the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, she is just this incredible force when it comes to the oceans and travels all over the world trying to educate people on what's happening to the oceans. And she wrote this great book called The World is Blue, How Our Fates in the Oceans Are One. And it talks about climate change and ocean acidification and what's happening to coral reefs around the world. So it gets into really what I think are some of the most important real world impacts of climate change, but it tells it through the lens of the ocean. And and I think that connects with a lot of people to think about it that way. And she and she connects it to us. I mean, she talks about how if we destroy the ocean, we destroy ourselves. You know, there is no way that human civilization can survive without the ocean. It Again, it provides oxygen. It provides food. Super basic you know. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It regulates our climate, you know, keeps our climate cool in some areas and warmer in other areas. 
And, you know, she's really sounding the alarm in this book. So it's, it's so important on, on so many levels. And I've met Dr. Earl and she's incredibly smart person and uh it's just a fantastic awesome book. awesome rock and roll man uh will where can our listeners follow you online i mean not for the next two weeks but after that when you come <laughs> after if, that when yeah. and if you come back after the blackout uh you know i'm on i'm on facebook i'm on instagram uh will hackman okay. i've written a bunch of articles uh for various journals uh in so if you google will hackman climate change uh, Georgetown Journal of International Affairs. There's a few things that'll come up and you can see my cool. my take on various things. But also, you know, shoot me a, a LinkedIn request. I always love, I'm an open LinkedIn networker and always love connecting with people. So oh, nice. any anybody who wants to connect on LinkedIn, happy to. Awesome. Rock and roll. Um, well, dude, this has been so helpful. I've been waiting to dig into Paris uh, uh, and and... You know, we might even have to do another one of these because we'd like to uh, attack things on several fronts. You know, we've done some some ocean uh, conversations that are more wonky and some more policy-based. Um, so people really get the full picture. And I think this is a great perspective on it, which is why our, why our business is going green, big and small. What, what else can they do and what can we do to support them? Um, what are the factors behind it now and in the future? Um, we appreciate having someone of your expertise uh, give it to us. Um, yeah. so yeah, thank, thank you. you guys so much. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a fun time for sure. Yes, well, thanks for all that you do and for all your time today. And, uh, yeah, keep kicking Have ass out there. And but enjoy also. your vacation. Um, I, oh, God. I that's thank incredible. you. Thank you. I, I will. Awesome. All right, man. We will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Bye. Will. thank you, brother. Adios. Be good. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally... Most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 